You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's going to be an all-black everything, Black History Month, into it episode. We did it. Only four episodes in. We did it. Should we clap now? Janae, she's saying. <laughs> we should clap in honor of the blackness of this episode. Yeah, this Yay! should be the clap. Yay, blackness. <laughs> no, but in actuality, on the count of three, let's just do one big clap. One, two, three. <laughs> what was that face? What was that face, that Mr. Was so Love? Off. That was so off. It didn't happen. That was off. Sorry. Wow, wow. That was like the least black thing I could have done in that moment, honestly. <laughs> Hey, I'm Sam Sanders, and this is Into It from Vulture. And for the record, Trahaka did clap on the one and the three. I really was on the one and three. It was kind of sick. Also, is this going to be, is it going to end up being like the shortest episode of all the episodes because it's the Black History Month episode, or are we, are we going to actually like Anywho, I guess it's about time we tell you who I'm even talking to. Um, hello. I'm Angelica Jade Bastien. Head film hater in charge, also known as being a critic. That is my title. Okay. And I'm Tarhaka Love. I run the daily newsletter Dinner Party um, at New York Magazine. And yeah, I would call myself the resident troublemaker. Oh, I yeah. love that. I love yeah. that. Uh, with that, I am so glad to have you both here to play uh, a little game that we have been calling Into It, Not Into It. The little uh, twist at the end of this game is that I decide the winner or loser based on how much I liked the contestants' opinions. Ooh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then I guess we're doing this. (laughs) We're doing this. Let's fucking go. There are no buzzers. There are no timers. There are no rules. As soon as I begin to talk about a story, feel free to comment and tell me how you feel. Number one, are we into or not into Steve Martin. <laughs> Angelica. In gener- <laughs> like in general? This is, the fir- this is the first of several questions on the theme. Let's start here, though. Mm. I know I made, like, a face that I wish listeners could see. Because I was like, this is the first fucking... I mean... It's part it's- of the first question. I mean, it's like Steve Martin. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate him. But would I say, oh, yes, I'm into it. No, I wouldn't, because I literally never think about him. So, 
Okay. Sorry. All right. Wow. That's, that's wow. okay. Mr. Wow. Love, nice. Mr. Love, what about you? Uh, listen, uh, here's what I'll say. Uh, I know that Steve Martin has been in the air, like in the atmosphere for like 60 years. And that's like <laughs> longevity in a way no. that's like really, really respectable. No. You know what I mean? That's but true. what I will say is that I have watched Bringing Down the House and I watched that movie actually again recently and yeah are there some really weird racist jokes absolutely mm -hmm. but does that shit hold the fuck up yes absolutely and steve martin granted isn't the best part of that movie maybe not even the second best part of that movie but he is in that movie and that's what's up like he is a crucial part of black culture simply because of wow. being opposite being opposite Queen Latifah. Okay, so you okay, so neither of you were really into Steve Martin, which means the final part of my question for this first entry in the game, it's not gonna matter to y'all at all. <laughs> Are y'all into or not into Steve Martin saying that his role in Only Murders in the Building might be his last role in a TV show or movie? Oh but y'all don't wow. care. I don't think y'all care. I mean, care. does does he think that's really a good idea? <sighs> Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my spirit uh, is black. Oh, you know? damn. <laughs> <laughs> Slender. I, wow. Okay. Light oh, wow. <laughs> I Yo. really am, I'm just, oof. Let, I am going to, once we finish this game, send y'all an entire Google Doc of Steve Martin content to consume because I do believe this man is a living legend. He's been making very funny movies for decades now. He also had a musical career. And I think he's good in Only Murders in the Building. What? I should be recording this right now. Well, right now, the only thing that matters is that there's a killer on the loose. If we're right, then he could be living somewhere in our building. Oh, that is a very good line. Badly delivered, but a good line. Let's, so do it again for me. Neither of you matched my opinion on this. <laughs> So I'm not going to give either of you a point. Damn. Damn, dog. <laughs> Sometimes it be like that. Yo, Sometimes really it be like what? that. Wow. Has this happened? Our hater powers. <laughs> I, I think y'all might do better on question two. Okay. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Are y'all into or not into this new Megan the Stallion album, Traumazine? I'm... Enjoying it, but it's not something I'm, like, eager to revisit a million times. But there's a few songs I really d do dig on. Would you say overall you're into it or not into God, it? God, <laughs> you know, I'm a critic. I, I don't do... This is why I don't do ratings. This is why when people are like, should I see this movie, Angelica, or should I not see this movie? I'm like, bitch, that's not what I'm here for. You figure that out with the information I give to you. If you were forced to say whether or not you were into, into it, it or there. not into it. Okay, okay, okay. We got okay. Angelica. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Tahaka, you. I love Megan the new Megan Thee Stallion uh, album. Uh, I am extremely proud of Megan Thee Stallion on this here afternoon, uh, largely because I really feel like she came with it. I, I, first of all, I think it's full of bangers. I think it's full of bangers. Okay. I think you're going to hear it. Uh, for the rest of this year. And you know what? I also am very appreciative of the fact that she got really sort of honest about mm -hmm. the sort of the, the mental health stuff that was taking see. a toll okay. on her in a real okay. way. like Which is super interesting to see that sort of mix of vulnerability and toughness and all of it feels really authentic. I think that's yeah. why I do like, I do really love Megan's, even if I'm not like, a hottie. I'm probably too short to be one or a stallion or any of those things. Okay, please, please. It's, it's a spiritual Let calling. You. Let me tell y'all. 
we must have listened to two different albums because I am not into this album. Oh, I think wow. it sounds like a piece of art that she made under duress. It sounds like she made it because she had to. And it feels like the beat or the album itself wasn't as thoughtful as I would expect from her. So the backstory on this album, for years now, Megan Thee Stallion has been fighting with her record label, 1501 Certified Entertainment. She's taken them to court, I want to say more than once. She says that they're stiffing her on payments. She has been saying for a while that she wants out of her deal, but she's still kind of stuck and has remaining obligations. And when I know that and hear this new album, it sounds like this is just an album she made quickly to get out of this contract as quickly as possible. And I don't like it when artists I love are having to make art under duress. I'm not into it. I'm trying to figure out who to give this point to. I'm going to give it to both of you because we all love Megan. Yeah, we do. You know what I'm saying? Just the other day, I heard a whole say. Matter of fact, what could a whole say? With a face like this and a bitch this pay. Shit, what could a whole say? All right, last question from me to y'all. Are we into or not into ABC re-airing later this month the now classic Whitney Houston and Brandy Cinderella? Who the hell wouldn't be into it? That, that, that's anti-black to not be into it. That's anti-cross-racial and cultural exchange. That's, I don't trust people who aren't into that. Impossible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. Tahaka, how do you feel about this? Into it or not into it? I mean, based simply off the fact that I want to earn Angelica's trust, I <laughs> am into this. All right, for those Gen Z folks listening who have no idea what we're talking about, some 25 years ago, ABC did a made-for-TV movie remake of Cinderella. The fairy godmother was Whitney Houston. Things are happening The Cinderella character was played by Brandy. And let me tell you, the two of them singing together, beautiful. Impossible. There's like these video clips of them singing impossible to each other back and forth. And it makes you just cry tears of joy. So kids, when it comes back on your TVs, watch it. Although, I mean, am I going to? find a way to watch live TV to watch Yeah, this. I know. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, wait. Okay, we'll figure it out. So I think it's fair to say that both of you tied. To determine a tiebreaker, the person who wins, it'll be the person who can name more than one Steve Martin movie. Uh, what is that one where he does? Bringing down the house. That's well, one. Besides bringing down the uh, house. Uh, Pink, Pink Panther. Pink Panther. Woo! You win. There you go. Tiebreaker. <laughs> to our first all-black everything version of Into It, Not Into It, Taka, you won, but I think we all win. Damn. <laughs> yes, we oh, all yeah. win. Oh, all yeah, for sure. Also, win. Steve Martin, I love you. Okay, we're done now. <laughs> Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. 
That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is set among rich people in Wyoming. Of course it's conservative. <laughs> what else would it be? Of course it's conservative. This is my Aunt Betty, my mother's sister. And she is describing a show we are both obsessed with. It's actually set in Montana, not Wyoming, but close enough. A show that's recently begun a lot of conversations over its politics. This show is called Yellowstone. I'm going to buy your ranch first. Right after you die and your children can't afford the inheritance tax. And Yellowstone, it is insanely popular. One of the most popular dramas on TV. Some episodes get over 10 million viewers a pop. Kevin Costner plays the patriarch in this ranching family. Yeah, Kevin Costner. My Aunt Betty first got me hooked on Yellowstone when I was visiting her maybe a year or two ago. And she said, Sam, trust me, you've got to watch. And I think I got through the entire first season of Yellowstone in like two days. I'm trying to think of how to describe this show for people who haven't seen it yet. It is maybe Succession meets the soap opera Dallas meets the Montana Big Sky. It's about a family who owns this huge mega ranch, thousands of acres. Their name is Dutton. The ranch name is Yellowstone. And I have never seen a more dysfunctional family in any TV series. You're fired. So thank you for all that land around your father's ranch. We have big plans for this valley. There is always some entity, somebody, some big corporation trying to take their land from them to start to build a resort or build an airport or something. So they're in a constant struggle trying to maintain their land and their life. And they will do anything to maintain it. Listen, they will hook and crook and kill and steal to keep that yes. ranch together. It's kind of wild. Yes, they will. It's funny. Some of the chatter around this show, Yellowstone, is about 
how the audience of this show leans politically. I wonder if you ever think about the politics of the Dutton family, the politics of the folks that make Yellowstone, or the politics of the people who watch it. No. I am really watching for entertainment. It would, it would affect me if it offended me. Right now, I'm yeah. entertained, so I'm not offended. Well, my Aunt Betty might be unbothered by the politics of Yellowstone, but a lot of other people are. There has been this drama around the show and its prequels recently. The Yellowstone Cinematic Universe keeps getting snubbed by the Emmys, at least for the big awards, in spite of its popularity, in spite of its star power. And some say it's because Yellowstone, the show itself, and the people who like it are too conservative. Going to take some time now and ask two questions. What actually are the politics of Yellowstone? And should we care? I called up sociologist and MacArthur Fellow and New York Times columnist Tressie McMillan Cottom to discuss. She recently wrote a piece for the Times called A Big TV Hit is a Conservative Fantasy Liberals Should Watch. And it made a lot of people feel some kind of way. But I loved our chat about it. And the big takeaway from that conversation was, yes, the politics of this show matter. But those politics, they are more complicated than you might think. Could we call you Yellowstone fan? I don't know. (laughs) I've watched better. I have definitely watched worse. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again, however. So let's say... An interested party. It's interesting that this article got so much blowback and so much response. Because, you know, Yellowstone, as a show, has existed for a few years now. It just wrapped its fourth season. There are, I think, two prequels about this show that exist. What made you want to write it now? The show is now much more than a show. Um, When you start talking about prequels and just the scale of this show, this is a universe. So when it is more than just a single creative property, when you start building out prequels, you're not just then trying to capture people's imagination for the hour a week. You want them to think of themselves as being part of a world. Yeah. And so my question's about the success and popularity of that world. It suggests that there are a lot of people who are getting something that they need from Mm. that universe. And when you think about our political polarization in this country, Uh when you think about how we form our identity uh, against the backdrop of all that polarization, a show that is hugely successful, millions of people who cannot get enough, not just of the show, but of its prequels and its other content, They're not usually just watching because of the Mm storylines, you know. You are then tuning in because you are getting some sort of return, some sort of emotional return. And because the show is very popular with conservative viewers, not just conservative viewers, but it's a conservative show that does really well in what we call red states. Mm -hmm. That meant there were people who tend to be thought of as isolated in the political Mm -hmm world who are getting something and desiring something from the cinematic universe. And I found that very fascinating and a window into how we think of ourselves in our everyday life, especially for a group of people that we don't uh, talk probably enough about in complex, nuanced ways when it comes to politics and identity politics. 
What do you think folks like that are getting from this show? I mean, you know, we can't get away from the powerful appeal of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. This is a show weeping with nostalgia. Oh, yeah. This ain't checkers, son. This is chess, and you're about to play it with masters. And these people, they're going to twist you into so many knots, you won't know where the truth begins and your future ends. Kevin Costner alone is a nostalgic oh, yeah. figure. Oh, yeah. He's playing a quintessential character in American pop culture. The Western has always symbolized how America wants to see itself. Mm. Ambitious, rugged individualism. The westward expansion is really just an American fantasy about how you can acquire land and power and wealth without any political downsides. And so I think we're having a very romantic conversation with people who feel like they are losing, quote unquote, their country. Yeah. And so in many ways, it's a pop culture safe space for people who really want to imagine the best of America and their place in it who I think know that it has changed on them but are still resisting and don't want to encounter that fantasy through political language. So the show isn't hammering on a sort of like a political message. And so I think that makes it feel sort of soft and fuzzy um, in a way that, you know, watching Fox News doesn't. So a lot of nostalgia, a lot of romanticism, a lot of fear. Repeat what I say. I'm going back to California. I'm I'm going back to California. Montana doesn't want you. Montana doesn't want me. You know, John Dutton, the main character, that's Kevin Costner's character, you know, is just driven by a lot of anxieties and fear. And I think he is a bit of a Rorschach for a lot of people who are feeling fearful about social change uh, in this nation. And he's facing it in a way, you know, with bravado, with guns, mm-hmm. with, with all money. out, with money. That is the American fantasy, right? If there's something in America you don't like, what do we tell people? Well, work hard, make enough money, and buy your way out of it. There you go. Uh, and that's what go. John Dutton promises. Yeah. You know, what I see in this show, once I begin to look at it critically, uh, and especially after reading your piece, Kevin Costner sets up the imagery of conservative white grievance without Mm -hmm. any of the negative baggage. There it is. This is America. We don't share land here. I think so much of the narrative around the plight of the quote-unquote white man as Mm -hmm. preached by, like, Fox News is that, like, your country is under attack. They're Mm -hmm. taking everything away from you. They're taking your taxes. They're taking uh, your right to say what you want to say. They're taking your jobs. They're taking this. They're taking that. You are under attack and your way of life is under attack. But it is constantly criticized as just, you know, old white people with grievances and y'all should just shut up. But when it's packaged in the packaging of Yellowstone, it's a powerful, charismatic, beautiful actor named Kevin Costner wearing that grievance for you. And it almost makes it feel more palatable for everybody when it comes in that kind of package. But I do think it is a kind of homage to the idea of like white America's last stand. Absolutely. You know, I was speaking with someone, um, a scholar of such things, and he said, you know, this is what the Western genre is. It Mm. is about a white 
imagination, where the white imagination goes to play with the alternate versions of itself. Mm. This show in post-Trump America, the political backdrop of white grievance and white reclamation that Mm. we are undergoing, this sort of clawing back of the culture, you know, the culture Mm -hmm. wars, this clawing back of democratic social institutions, schools, voting, electoral politics, trying to claw that back to a sort of like mythical 40, 50 years ago when those systems worked better for white Americans than they did for non-white Americans. All of that in this moment makes this a very different show to me. Mm. Making then white grievance not the gray-haired paranoid character that, you know, we mock on social media and more liberal media and prestige media. It is a counter narrative to the sort of manic white Mm -hmm. grievance that we see in the news. It is a white grievance that you can feel good about. Because they've softened some of the edges, you know, you write in your piece, it's not exactly just a conservative show. There are portrayals of Native people in this show, and it is not trying to stereotype them. It's not the best portrayal, but it's not the worst. There are queer people in this show, and you have in this conservative white family led by Kevin Costner's character, people who aren't outright Racists, you know, right. they embrace yeah. people of color on the farm, right? So it is not nearly as harsh and combative as the version of white grievance that we see in Fox News. They imagine that, listen, I don't hate people who are different from me as long as they are trying to live like me. So the co-option of diversity throughout Yellowstone is one of the most fascinating aspects to me because yeah. visually it is a very diverse show. You've oh, got yeah. a full slate of Native American characters, and I want to be specific here, not necessarily Native American actors. I think the Native American community would want us to note, but Mm -hmm. Native American characters who have their own settings, their own backstories, their own politics. That's pretty rare in a prestige television show. And they are offered up as being at least as complex as the Duttons. Mm-hmm. You've got black cowboys. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you Which have... I always love to see. <laughs> yes. I, listen, I'm a big fan of black cowboys. Yeah. So I yes. also love to see it for many reasons, Sam. Yeah. For big, well, the, many, well, many, yeah. many reasons. They were the original <laughs> cowboys. They were the I original like cowboys. I like seeing the black oh, yeah. cowboys, okay? And so, yeah, <laughs> yes. you're getting all that visual eye candy. It is gorgeous. It's yeah. shot beautifully, oh, right? Yeah. All of these people are getting good lighting and good costume design. So it's Mm -hmm. amazing visually. But the politics of having that kind of diversity is very cosmetic, Mm. which is the preference of white identity politics, Mm. which is said for liberals to call us racist when we accept all people. This is the American principle of a melting pot, right? Uh But always with the assumption that you will aspire to be like us. Yeah. That is actually more of a conservative principle than having just outright blatant racist. That, to me, is how conservative politics actually operates Mm. in most people. And so the show is actually, I think, quite sophisticated in offering up a conservative politics that looks more like the nuanced way that people actually experience it than the sort of firebrand of conservative politics that we usually get. Oh, yeah. And I think when I 
apply any frame of like meta analysis to Yellowstone, it's really asking what Americans can and should think of institutions. I think you see this family that says, in order to defend our territory, we cannot rely on any institution to do so. The cops can't do it. The courts can't do it. The government can't do it. So either we do it ourselves or we co-opt those institutions towards our own end. And when I think of it that way, it's like, oh, this sits right next to a lot of framing of political discourse happening in conservative politics right now. There's a question of the role of the institution in American life and whether or not we should rely on institutions or dismantle them. And Yellowstone, whether we want to see it or not, is a part of that conversation and is in conversation with those ideas that politicians are talking about right now. Absolutely. I say that Yellowstone is a powerful cultural object in large part because it does not feel like a political object to millions of people. That says to me that when you tuned into that show and you see that extreme apathy towards social progress and the institutions that have made it possible, then you have on some level already accepted that frame that social institutes are failing that Mm -hmm. they are going to continue to fail, and that the logical response to that failure is not to make those, to shore up those institutions. That would Mm -hmm. be the more liberal interpretation, I think, of a Yellowstone, you know, especially in prestige television. I think if it was truly a liberal show and aimed at, you know, liberal politics, it would be reformation, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just a, a foundational liberal principle. The conservative principle, however, of Yellowstone is exactly that withdrawal. It is to withdraw from the social institutions and to double down on the family as the only thing that can save you. (laughs) There you go. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like what I found so interesting in the discourse around your piece and people talking to you in social media about whether or not they watch Yellowstone, it seemed as if some liberals only felt comfortable telling you that they watched Yellowstone through private DM. Yes. One woman said (laughs) it was a a very long DM, you know, wanting to justify and explain away and and how I needed to understand that she was a true progressive. I think she told me who she (laughs) voted for. And then she said, and I can't say any of this on social media because I have a job. And I was like, wow. To think about your preferences being so tied to your mm-hmm. identity and your performance of your identity yeah. to other people, that just saying you watch a soap opera yeah. is a challenge to like your social status was amazing. Very sociological, but very amazing to me. Uh huh. I will say it is so interesting to see the response to your piece on Yellowstone and the response to the show itself feel so polarized because mm-hmm. you argue in the piece, and I think it's true of the show, it's not that cut and dry. It's no. not just stereotypically conservative. It's not just anti-elite. In fact, it has some media elites working in and on this show. Taylor Sheridan, who made this show, was up for an Academy Award a few years ago for a film that he wrote. Which, let me tell you something. Taylor Sheridan, by, uh, I think, one reporting, has a spread in Montana that is the size <laughs> of, like, Manhattan. <laughs> exactly. He's elite. He's elite. Do you know who I now think of ter- Taylor Sheridan as being the parallel to? Who? 
I think of him as the white person's Tyler Perry. <laughs> Did you hear my jaw on the floor right now? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Did you hear it drop? <laughs> Please unpack this for me, please. Well, they've both identified an audience that feels isolated and rejected by mainstream popular culture. Mm. Mm. They have invested uh, a lot of creative energy in building a whole universe of characters for that audience. And they take a lot of pride in being outsiders Mm. in the mainstream Hollywood system. Now, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> now, I think Taylor Sheridan has better wigs on his sets, hands down. <laughs> well, that's about a low that. bar. That's a low exactly. bar right there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and he's definitely spending more money on his shows than I think, than I think Tyler is spending. Yes. But yes. I think as far as what like brings their audience to them and makes their audience so loyal and mm. brings out the same sort of shame and embarrassment among people who feel like they shouldn't be watching it. Uh-huh. They share that. They have that in common. Wow. I love that. You know, when I watched the first season with my Aunt Betty, we just watched it, you know, for the fun. Uh, she has watched all of it. She still watches it. And I asked her this week, I was like, do you think of the politics of this and conservative politics and white politics and grievance politics? Do you think about any of those things when you watch Yellowstone? And she said, No. It's just fun. And I wonder, do we think that most viewers are watching it with the eye that we are discussing right now? And do you think it's fair to put this frame of politics on the show? I love doing it, but there might be some folks who say it's not fair to do all that with this literal soap opera. Not only are there folks who would say that, those folks have absolutely said it to me. So, yes, you're accurate. (laughs) Your Aunt Betty is like my Aunt Helen or my grandma or all of the other people that I grew up watching stories with. They have been trained by popular culture how to consume something like Yellowstone Mm. without thinking about its politics. Um, Now, whether or not that's important is debatable. I tend to fall down on the side of it being important because our politics don't just happen when we are voting. Mm. We work out our politics long before we start following Mm -hmm. any electoral politics, right? Mm -hmm. We look at television and books and film for ideas about what is normal, Mm -hmm. what is right, and what's aspirational. Right. Like how we want to live, what we want the world to look like. And so not every show to your second question, not every cultural object is probably worth applying a political lens. (laughs) But every cultural object has a political lens. Right. Yeah. Now, what do I need to now think about everything I watch? Absolutely not. (laughs) I watch a lot of bad TV, Sam. (laughs) Same. Okay. Same. I watch oh, a yeah. lot of bad stuff. I am not that sophisticated or high-minded when it comes to my popular culture. And so it's totally fine not to think about it. What I argue is that if you never think about any of it, you can become someone or something that you didn't intend to be. Mm. So what I say about Yellowstone is it's all right not to think about it. But maybe every once in a while, after you've binged a few seasons— Maybe you ask yourself something like, hey, am I feeling a little bit more libertarian today than I was Uh a couple of weeks ago? (laughs) Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Uh, am I am I feeling a little bit more or less disgusted with gun violence than I was a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm. Have I become numb to sexual violence against women because I've been watching mm. rape scene after sexual violence scene after molestation scene, you know, for days on end? Like, that's what pop culture can do to us if we don't think about any of it ever, so yeah. not only is it fair and reasonable to do it, but I think that if we care about the world that we live in, and I admit that that's not <laughs> an assumption <laughs> I should always make, uh, I think that we have to think about it sometimes. Oh, yeah. My last question for you. If you had to sum up in three sentences or less what the discourse and fighting over Yellowstone and its political credentials, what that says about the state of our American politics, what would you say? So one, our culture is as polarized as our politics. Yeah. At the same time, our culture is more nuanced than our politics. Mm. Three, an audience that is challenged in its culture can be moved in its politics. Yeah. I love it. Teach a Yellowstone class, and I will attend. Thanks again to Tressy McMillan Cottom. Her op-ed for The Times, all about Yellowstone, is called A Big TV Hit is a Conservative Fantasy Liberals Should Watch. And she cites this really interesting working paper from two sociologists, Clayton Childress and Craig Rawlings. Their paper is called When Tastes Are Ideological, the asymmetric foundations of cultural polarization. If you're into academic articles, go check it out. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist About all the things we can't stop thinking about The culture that's haunting you Haunting me Haunting all of us For better or worse What's going on everybody? It's Jelani Carter, associate producer for this very show And the thing that has just been occupying my mind for the past couple of days is the Netflix movie Day Shift, starring Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, Megan Good, and you guessed it, Snoop Dogg. Uh, it's about how Jamie is a vampire hunter by day. What are you doing in my room? Hunting vampires. Uh, the dialogue is super corny and the music is so on the nose. It's like, hey, did you know that this movie is based in Southern California? Yeah, we get it. Uh, Snoop is in it. Locked and loaded. Um, but yeah, I've been really loving seeing Jamie Foxx in these like campy action films. Like this is not the first one he's done in the past couple years, and every single time a new trailer for something he's working on comes out, I get excited for it. I can't help it. It's not Eclipse, New Moon, Breaking Dawn, Point One. It ain't like that, all right? Why do you know the names to all the specific Twilight films? What? And what's your gripe with Breaking Dawn Part 2? It's the exciting conclusion of the whole Twilight saga. Uh, definitely watch it with some friends. Don't expect some prestige movie making going on with this, but it's still a good time. Hello, my name is Herschel Pandya and I cover comedy at Vulture. 
couple weeks ago, Netflix put out a new romantic comedy called Wedding Season. My name is Asha Moria. It's standard fair run of the mill, except this time Indian people. I'm an Indian person myself, so instinctually, my mouse hover over the thumbnail and I watch the trailer. Mom, stop arranging dates behind my back. This arguing. At one point, a white guy uses the phrase, keep calm and curry on. Just keep calm and curry on. No. No, stop. So, Keep Calm and Carry On is famous British World War II propaganda, during which time India was subject to British colonial rule, and they suffered a famine where around 3 million people died due to British wartime policies. So Keep Calm and Carry On was literally the thing they couldn't do. And listen, I'm not offended. I don't think this is worthy of mobilization. I just need to know if anyone who made this movie has put two and two together yet. Hello, my name is Jesse David Fox. I am a senior editor at Vulture and host of Good One, a podcast about jokes. And right now I am obsessed with Westworld season four. Uh, I should say I did not finish season three. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't care to know what was happening. And you don't need to either if you want to watch season four. And you should because it is a perfect mix of being really well done and really stupid. And it's best captured by Tessa Thompson, who is giving a full Disney villain performance all season. Too slow. Give me something with a little more pep to it. You know, on its face, this season's about, I don't know, the the perils of technology or something, but it's really about what it's like to be an actor whose character is underridden and muddled, and you still need to be entertaining. They are experiencing God. The problem is, God is bored. Tessa leans into the bad writing to reflect her own character's uncertainty over who they really are. Bored, bored, bored. Or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just Tessa Thompson, like, walking through the future. And it's nice to see the west side of New York City accurately portrayed as a dystopian nightmare. So, that's it. Westworld Season 4, Tessa Thompson. It's good. Uh, Goodbye. Thank you. This is Jesse. Thanks again to Jesse David Fox, Herschel Pandia, and Jelani Carter. Listeners, my culture guys this week is the new album from Sylvan Esso. It is full of what Sylvan Esso fans know and love from this duo. But the final track called Coming Back to You is this wonderfully haunting ballad. Coming back to you. It feels like you're having this cathartic cry in the middle of the club on the dance floor. But it's not sad. It is the best end to an album I've probably heard so far this year. No offense, Beyonce. All right, Into It is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. And the show is produced by Janae West, Jelani Carter, and Zach Mack. Our editor this week is Nishat Kurwa. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by the mysterious and often gregarious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our podcast operations manager is Gabby Grossman. And Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. Listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Till next time, go stream that new Sylvanesso. Trust me on this, okay? All right. Till next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 